this is crazy. I'm sitting with my dad. This is my first podcast that we've shot. And everything that I know about voice acting and proper reading and inflection, I, I know from this guy. Um, so it, it's really fitting. We didn't know how this was going to turn out, but it, dad ended up being the first one sitting in the chair here. So you're doing hiking now. This is something that you've, you've gone from a, a, a broad gamut of professions before, mostly in audio engineering, some production. Uh, you left Virginia beach to go do real estate just in time for 2008 and all that good time, right. that good fun. The crash. So hiking, I've never seen you more invigorated. I've never seen you more excited about what you're doing. What, how did you get, even get started on that? Where does this, where did the hiking thing come from? Well, I guess the initial roots were back when my dad and I, um, dad was trying to find ways to spend more time with me because with my brother, he didn't raise him maybe in the best manner that he thought and didn't get enough time with him. So he became a scoutmaster and uh, basically did it as a, as a ploy to get me to join the scouts so we could go camping together. And so that started my initial um, breakthrough of getting into the outdoors. I was a concrete suburbanite kid that didn't really want to be out in the wilderness among the bugs and the snakes. So he kind of broke me out of that gradually, went camping with the scouts, did some pretty long 14 mile hikes as a 13 or 12 year old in the carrying 40 pound packs. Uh, these old World War II surplus packs that we still have that came probably either from World War II or the Korean War and uh, the old wooden frame packs that are very very antiquated compared to today's technology and uh, anyway that got the roots going and then I later went off to college and got the music business and kind of forgot about all that got married and then um, of course you came along and we moved up to Virginia Beach Virginia got into TV I was a sound engineer in Nashville doing music business work with um, Christian artists and country artists and uh, transformed into what I thought would pay better, had a better career track, which was television. They had bigger budgets. So I went to work for the Christian Broadcasting Network up in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And um, from there, I'd gotten away from the outdoors other than occasionally camping in a pop-up camper, which I couldn't mm -hmm. stand because it, I felt very entrapped with having to pull that thing everywhere. Um, this was with a, a 1984 Dodge Caravan, by the way, yeah. back then, right? <laughs> uh, 1980 Plymouth Voyager. 1987. 87 Plymouth yeah. Voyager with the, the yeah. wood panels on the side. Yeah, had the six-cylinder yeah. engine. Yeah, the six-cylinder with, uh, the it was the LE, so it was the longer ver version. It wasn't that short, yeah. stubby, disproportionate thing that it I never enjoyed. Yeah. Copy of the space shuttle shape. Right. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this is when Dodge had invented the minivan. This yeah. was a Lee Iacocca right. thing. Right, based on the shape of the, the shovel, actually. <clears throat> Seriously. <laughs> so, and so kind of just taking the rabbit trail here, um, the space shuttle, where did you hear that? Where did, where did that come from? I think it was in Lee, Lee Iacocca's book, but that was in the era of the space shuttle when it started first launching. And I think they had an ad campaign that kind of showed the shuttle and the caravan. Or oh, I'm going to, I got to look Voyager. this up. Yeah. Yeah, the Voyager, I think the Voyager name even came from sort of a NASA-inspired thing. But anyway, 
Yeah, from there I got into music, uh, into television, and then uh, cycled out of the Virginia Beach area. Became kind of bored with uh, sound engineering, and worked for a post production outfit, working on some safety training videos, and decided to come back to Tennessee and reinvent myself and jumped into real estate. And in real estate, uh, I discovered I didn't really care so much about selling houses, but I liked walking the acreage properties. They did, other agents didn't want to go. They didn't want to tear up their clothes and get some fleas. <laughs> so I would go and I would yeah. walk the woods. And I, I found myself enjoying the solitude of walking the woods. And, and then people would call me, say, we're coming to town. We just kind of want somebody to show us around, show us some houses. And then I found out that they were going to waste my time and they wanted me to be a tour guide so I decided well I like doing photography I'm doing that in real estate I like doing the touring thing if I get paid for it and I'm really not enjoying real estate so much except for the land sales so um, and then the, the, mar the market crash the economy crash 2008 we lost everything and I came mm. uh, I got to be very depressed and was close to suicide and uh, had planned to, for a way to do myself in and um, so that my family could get insurance money to help them and uh, so I've rehearsed different ways or not rehearsed but I thought about different scenarios and came up with the idea of driving out in front of a train make it look like an accident so that the claim would be paid and then I uh, mm. was persuaded by prayer from friends uh, other people who, who didn't know I was really contemplating that and I don't even think my own wife knew it uh, your mom um, and I actually had a spot picked out was ready to roll through it and Felt like uh, things were starting to turn finally. I was starting to succeed mm. working out, losing my weight. I'd gotten really heavy. I was 65 pounds heavier than I am now. So and, about my uh, weight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was very depressed. I, I'd, yeah. I'd felt like I'd lost yeah. everything. Before I was winning, everything I would, I would buy, I'd flip it. It was turning to gold. Later, everything I bought turned to mold. <laughs> so mm. so uh, everything came crashing down about 2008. We got kicked out of our house. Uh, foreclosed on, lost both of our vehicles. I was over leveraged. I knew it at the time. I thought I was going to make a final land deal, and that land deal got held up because the person that was trying to buy it was from Canada. And if you're Canadian, you're treated as uh, somebody who's a non citizen, so you can't really buy it. Uh, and it, it shut down the sale at the last minute as the economy. Mm, I, I didn't know that part. Yeah, yeah. So I couldn't sell the last piece of land that I had a bunch of money in, and then everything dominoed. So anyway, after that, I started working out mountain biking, going to workouts, doing spin class, and started dropping my weight. So I started succeeding at, at some little goals that encouraged me, and uh, everything else was just crashing down. And even though economically we were still selling our personal items on eBay just to pay the rent or pay the uh, utility bills, and the family was helping out, uh, even our kids helped out at times, uh, such as yourself. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a pretty dark period, and, and gradually I came out of that deep depression because I, I could see a little bit of the light again. And I'd questioned God. I'd questioned everything. Uh, knew there was God. Uh, even as much as I hated to admit it, I knew God was still in control and moved forward with uh, trying to just achieve small, minute goals. I, I went out to Cades Cove, got on a bicycle, decided to set a baseline before I turned my body around physically because I was here for the first time in my life. I was really fat, 65 pounds over. So I forget, I was at 245, I think, and I'm only five foot nine. And um, so I got on a bicycle on a very hot day. I knew my my time would be horrible. Yeah. Going around the 11 yeah. mile loop at Cades Cove and Smoky Mountains. And uh, of course, there was traffic there that I could use for an excuse to slow me down. So. Right. 
So I got on the bike and uh, went around that cove, 11 mile cove. It, it was hard. I, at, at one point, I thought I was going to die of heat exhaustion. I laid down in the stream on my back, just soaked the cold air in, and I said, I got to finish this thing. This is something I got to set as a baseline so that when I improve and keep moving further, I'll be able to look back and see uh, how far I've come. And like in the Old Testament, they set up these stone monuments. Children of Israel would set up a monument saying that this is how far we've come. This is how far God delivers us. It's mm. called an Ebenezer. Yeah, yeah. So this was going to be an Ebenezer in my life. I knew it. I was setting the groundwork for success, mm-hmm. later success that I only had faith for. Couldn't see it at the time. And not just and, the um, physical. I mean, sorry to jump in, but it's, right. I think it's really important to say that from a fitness perspective, it makes a lot of sense to set a baseline. This is something that anytime I'm coming back to mountain biking, you know, I, I enjoy racing and yeah, doing things yeah. like that. And I'm super heavy right now, but once I get in the groove, it starts cutting down. But one of the first things I do is number one, I know the first ride's going to suck. Oh, so I just go out and have the sucky ride. Yeah. It actually becomes a, a goal. Yeah. It becomes but, a motivator. But the first thing, the first time you do it, it's, it's, That's it awesome. can, it's awful. It's awful. It, yeah. it, it And it can destroy you. Like, let's say you push too hard doing the baseline and you end up injuring yourself and then you can't come back to right. it, things like that. But what I was going to say is this wasn't just a baseline for fitness. This was a baseline for a turning point in your life. You, right. exactly. you were going to approach life right. with a different perspective. And, and I think it's really neat, too, when I think about... Because I didn't know... I knew you were struggling with depression and I there are things that come up every now and then where you say you know it would just be better if but right right. but knowing what I know now about the psychology of depression and when you have a plan just how close you are Mm -hmm. yeah and it rationalizes Um, you rationalize you know for me it was going to be a sacrificial thing where I wanted I started seeing my family struggle and mm -hmm. um, I wanted them to have money and I felt like I was worth more dead than alive and uh, I had a, it's terrible. I think a hundred thousand dollar policy then. I don't have mm. any now. So <laughs> I'm worth more alive than I am dead. Um, yeah. But um, so. But you I, could have killed yourself on the trail, is what? And this is something I was thinking of, just image, imagistically. But bec- you would set out to set a baseline, mm-hmm. and you thought you were going to die of heat exha- exhaustion at one point. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's yeah, you're starting yeah. to get concerned. But at no point did it become, let me back out. And so now you've gotten to a point where it's, rather than driving in front of a train to help the family, you're setting yourself up and you're willing to die for it. Or at least pass out from heat exhaustion, right? Well, at that point, I I didn't feel like I was, I didn't, I wasn't on a deadly course. That was... It, I, it was a necessity to set that baseline, and I knew I needed to take it easy because I was out of shape. I worked as hard as I could in that heat, and I'm, I'm very heat susceptible, um, have been ever since that time. We were at the Boy Scout camp in Williamsburg, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I was getting in heat prostration, and I had to run in the middle of the night down to the public shower uh, at that camp in Williamsburg and jump in fully clothed. Yeah, check out how many campgrounds, the Boy Scout campground just yeah. outside of Williamsburg. Yeah, from that day on, and some people had said that, once you have a episode with heat exhaustion, then it, yeah. you're going to be the same uh, handling heat, and I think that might be true. But um, So from that point on, I knew I was susceptible to heat, even when I wasn't mm. as heavy as I was, and I was very heavy. 
but no, I wasn't. I wasn't feeling I, like I was so much tempting fate to do the circle, to do the loop, set the baseline. Mm-hmm. I, I knew I had to do it, but I didn't want to do it and destroy myself. But I did push myself hard enough where I thought maybe I was having some mini strokes because my speech oh wow, got, my speech got slurred a uh, mm-hmm. little bit, and I uh, my thinking skills. But I think it was dehydration and uh, or um, uh, blood sugar drop. Along probably, with dehydration, probably, usually yeah. manifests that way, yeah, right? I have, I have okay. a hard time staying hydrated. I can drink and drink and drink. I have to take electrolytes. and that. I usually can win the battle if I overdrink towards the end of the task. If it's a 10, 12-hour hike, I have to drink more towards the end <clears throat> to stay ahead of it. And I keep checking the color of my urine and see where I'm at when I'm hiking. And I know I'm on There's nothing... There's nothing like a clear stream of pee. It, you know, it's this weird thing for guys. Uh, when I see darkness, I go, oh, no. Right, yeah. It comes out tea-colored, and you're like, I might just die right now. I, I don't know. It's coming well, out and brown. It's hard to turn around once you go dehydrated while you're still doing physical. Right. It's almost impossible to turn around for me. So what I did this last time, I did 35 miles in two days. Uh, Holy 15, cow. The 15 miles. On hiking. foot? Yeah. Not mountain biking. This no, is, this is hiking this. with a 25-pound pack. So uh, on the last leg of the last day, I was going into dehydration, and the lady with me, I said, look, I got to stop. I got to pull out my Propel powder. I pulled out a pack of powder, and I just popped it in like I was eating Pez candy. Or yeah, or, uh, yeah, just, what was it, I Pixie had, Sticks? It was, uh, <laughs> it was so sour. You had a Propel Pixie <laughs> Stick going on. It, it, it made my eyeballs twist around. Oh, that's around. great. But I, I, I threw it in, my mouth would take a mouthful, and then I would drink some and throw it in. Because I can't put it into my hydration bag because it'll go through the filter. The right. I mean, right. You know, saw your filter, it'll mess it up. Yeah. So I can't mix it into my bag. So that was my quickie. And it worked. I turned it around. So I was. Not able. recommended, but definitely it yeah, worked for you six, in that moment. For the last six and a half miles, <laughs> yeah. the lady had been hiking with me. She'd already hiked uh, two days of hiking before that. She was finishing up 75 miles. Holy miles, cow. But she was 38 years old. And okay. She's only like five foot one, so she was able to handle it and she's in shape. Yeah. And she'd already done the Appalachian Trail from Springer Mountain, Georgia, 200 and so miles up to um, Clemens Dome, uh, where I dropped her off two days before. And then I joined her two days later. So anyway, all that to say that I was able to turn the dehydration around. Uh, and I knew, especially when I did this ring road thing, dehydration was always going to be a battle for me and the heat exhaustion. So I lay down the stream, got got myself cooled down, hopped back on. I was about three-fourths way around the loop. It took me all in all over four hours to do the 11 miles. So I knew that was a horrible time. I was happy just to be done with it. You made it, yeah. And I said, fine, that means I got a lot of work to do. And what inspired me actually to start turning things around, a lot of it was when I saw myself in a photograph at your brother's wedding. Uh, And I saw that picture of me and I went, that man looks like he's dying. That's going to be me when I see this video here. I said, he, he, <laughs> About me. I'm like, whoa. I, I, got, he, I got man boobs. I said, he, I, was, I don't know, I was 54, I think. I said, he, he looks like he's dying. I said, I'm not ready to die. I'm not ready to let it go. And that was part of the turnaround about the suicide. It, it inspired me. I, I, I said, I'm not going to let the devil take away the rest of my life. Mm, yeah. over, this, over money, over this paper thing we call money. And uh, somehow we'll get through this. And it was horrible. But I knew we could get through it. So the baseline was set. So uh, three or four years later, I went back out after dropping 60 or 65 pounds, and I did it in less than an hour. Nice. So uh, Very nice. That, that gave me, that, that finished the script um, or completed the, gave me closure, whatever you want to call it. it. That made me feel complete that I 
succeeded in the mission and I, I had a job now it wasn't a job I liked I hated it um, mm. but it was bringing income in and I, I suffered through management of a guy that was really really hard to work for former marine he, he was very um, you know those prior service guys are hard to work well, with. well and not because he's a marine <laughs> I would give him that but uh, it was because he, he, he didn't understand me and he was trying to use manipulations with me that doesn't work and trying to motivate an old guy with old old tricks that I've seen over yeah. and over again and it's that's not what motivates me. I'm not trying to compete against anybody except myself. That's something I've run into in my time as well, I've noticed. Is it's an insult. It's an insult, right? When you use the textbook play-by-play play and and I feel the script coming out right. of your mouth, Right. number one, it's not genuine. So you're lying to me as far as I'm concerned. Right. It's like, no, be genuine and let's, let's address this as adults and have a little bit of, A, self-respect to think that maybe you know what you're talking about when you address me. Right. And B, maybe it is an ego thing. Maybe maybe if I could get past the idea that, hey, I've accomplished this um, and I should be talked to better or spoken to better. Yeah, part of it. Maybe I could get past that. Maybe, you know, that's an area I think I could grow in. But at the same time, there's something disingenuous about the whole exchange well, I, that's I like a problem for me. They've uh, apparently not taken the time to get to know me. And here I've been working yeah. two or three years with this person and, and they still don't know what makes me tick and they're going to try some little stupid, clever trick that, that uh, sales techniques had come <laughs> up with. And, yeah. and and I feel like, do you really think I'm that stupid? That, that this, this is really what's going to make me be motivated? No. What motivates me is not that. You need to find out what motivates me before you try to right. write a prescription. And that's, that's the part that I found most insulting was that here I'm spending all this time there and they still didn't know who I was. So, um, you know, he was good on yeah. a lot of things. He was good about time off, good about family time, but he was not reading me. He had no perception. He should never have been a manager. Mm. He had no perception about people. Yeah. And when he would try to sell and I would watch him sell people, I'd, I'd watch them recoil and he didn't pick up on it. Um, so I felt like in some ways I was better than him, the way he was trying to tell me. But I wasn't prideful enough because my numbers didn't show that I right. was the top, top I, dog in the company, but I was in the top five or top ten every month yeah so, you, um, you know i was in sales for a while too and i didn't ever have that success in the numbers that seemed appropriate for my honest approach to sales right. and um knowing that one tactic is wrong and not participating in it isn't the same as knowing what's actually going to work in the genuine fashion um uh and it's hard. It's really hard to, to look and know what that guy's doing over there. It's wrong. And even when it works, it's a short-term gain. Right. There's no, there's not going to be repeat business because the, the, the client's going to come away feeling like they were robbed. Right. And it just makes you feel icky right. in the, the whole thing. Buy -in. Yeah. Social buy-in and then they go back and think about it later. Um, and then you get the buyer's remorse. And there are some people that actually will never get it and won't have a resentment, but there are a lot that will, and those are the ones I worry about. And I have to go home at night and feel like I did an honest day's job, um, and if I feel cheapened in what I'm doing, I can't sell it. They're going right. to see the mind yeah. that I feel cheap doing doing the pitch, and that's what would happen is I would short out, and I'd, I'd be forced to, to try to sell in a way that was not comfortable to me. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, of course, when you get into the group training thing, they brought in a trainer, and he was a disaster. He was the absolute oh, really? worst thing. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, and I had to 
had the privilege of, of hiking with a friend of his not long ago who happened to be on my hike. No way. And I gave him an earful. And it what? Was, it was inappropriate, but he was there. Absolutely. Yeah. He was there. <laughs> and I said, oh, you're friends with... I said, yeah. I said, yeah, he came to our office. He was a disaster. He wanted us to write business on everyone who walked in the door, whether they were qualified or not, whether they were ready to make a decision or not. He wanted us to take them out of the marketplace and write it on a piece of paper and take a $500 check, deposit. And all we did was hand back checks and made people uncomfortable the whole time. It was a disaster. Wow. The guy says, well, yeah, but he he was pretty good at you know helping people get their numbers up. I said, I'm telling you from our, our perspective and my perspective, he was awful. And he goes, well, I wasn't really that close to him as a friend. <laughs> he says, yeah. Man, when and your I, friend disowned you like that. I saw him that. go through a divorce. I saw him go through a divorce. Yeah. And that kind of gave me, and he starts un, ungluing about what yeah. he thought about this guy. And I, I held firm. I said, it was a nightmare. And the reason the owner keeps using him is beyond me. He's got him hoodooed where he's written up a theory. He did his thesis on uh, selling by personality, sheeps, tigers, lambs. Uh, I forget what the other uh, categories were. Um, owls. Um, and yeah, there are personality types. But if you start thinking in terms of people by by broad brush personality types, that will mislead you on really listening to who they are. And you'll still miss mm. the sale. And you've got to be very careful. I do believe in adaptive selling. I think it works. But to a micro, to micromanage it, uh, it's wrong. I think you have to you have to keep the human element and be flexible enough to bend and realize people are complex. They're not monolithic. They may be an owl in one type of situation and they're a tiger mm -hmm. in another and mm -hmm. they're, a, they're a sheep in another. So yeah. I have all those at different times in my day. So why would they be any different? So well, a well-integrated personality would be able to adopt those personas given the right. appropriate scenario, right? Um, what do you think the difference is between selling and conning? Because I feel like a lot of these sales pitch schemes are really just a, some kind of Behavior. whitewashed con. Behavior manipulation, I think, is I think it comes down to your gut. When you feel like it doesn't feel right, I think that's the best thing. It's like when you're walking in a parking lot and there's somebody walking across the parking lot that might be wearing a hoodie or dressed a certain way or is holding something in their hand. And, your gut starts talking to you, and I think that's the way you ought to go with it. Um, there are probably some better specifics that, if I thought about it, I could come up with. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't know. But, uh... but generally, I think if you if you're, Man. some people need to be pushed for their own good. Some sometimes there is an appropriate time to push people to go ahead and make a decision, to go ahead and buy that thing because they've come in there, not because they're just trying to waste time. They're there to try to figure something out. And if you help deliver them to where they really want to go for their own good, that's a good thing. But you've got to be careful of, of not confusing that you've got to have these numbers by the end of the month, and this is the last day of the month, and you've got you've got this sale sitting in front of you, $500 or $800 or who knows, $10,000 or for me a $250,000 house. And, and uh, you're going to push them over the edge even though you know they really need to think about this for a little, little while longer. Well, some people say, well, you, you're going to let them out the door and think about it. Then you're not doing your job as a salesperson. You need to nail them down right then and capture them. And I say no, because if you get them to buy too soon, they're going to have buyer's remorse. And mm. especially on a big ticket item, they don't want to buy spontaneity. They, they don't want to buy spontaneously. They want to buy because they are now able to sleep at night and go home with that decision. Yes. It's a different sale than selling a, a, a box of candy or something at a, at a counter where there's impulse buying that is appropriate. 
um, in some ways. So, um, but anyway, um, it seems like you're, what you're describing is a, a cooperative pursuit of the most beneficial outcome. Well, you know, they use the term sales counselor when I worked at Circuit City, and I always thought that was kind of hmm. smarmy and kind of psychobabble. But in, in reality, if you had a sister or a brother or a relative who came to you and said, I, I'm interested in, in getting one of those products, whatever you're selling, how would you handle them? You know, how would you handle your mom? Yeah, because you gotta, you got to have, like, it's Thanksgiving. Yeah. If yeah. I sell you something in the spring right. in a way that makes you – really resent me later i has i still have to have thanksgiving with you later that's right do we really want to have that that right. tension and that um so it, and and i'm not like other salespeople. there are other salespeople who are much better at sales because i can't disconnect my belief in the product and my my confidence in the sale so if if i'm if i know that our guys are for instance building houses are not getting the jobs done on time they're making big mistakes mm. using inferior labor yeah um they're doing some manipulation with the uh, construction um it's going to start showing and my numbers will start yeah. to go down because i cannot disconnect that from myself so in that sense i'm not a good salesman yeah and if that if that's what i gotta have mm -hmm. to be a good salesman i don't want it maybe i mean and there's also the mm -hmm. element of having faith in what your team is doing and knowing that they have bad times and good times and that you're still aiming for the good times. Well, that's one thing. But when you know yeah. going into sale that you're going to be promising these people stuff that's just not going to, it's just not going to turn out. Right. Well, in the moment that the first promise doesn't come through, you've just lost all credibility in everything about the sale. Like I've got to go to those guys and I would, I'd go to them and I'd raise a ruckus and they'd go, well, you know what? Our um, drafter made a mistake. And so we got to go back and charge this widow. This is a real case. A widow whose husband died from the time that they came in and met me. She came back and said, my husband died, but he still wants me to have this. He wanted me to have this house. Um, and she gets into the process, and we find out that the uh, draftsman had mistakenly drawn the drawings where the beams are running the wrong way for the, second, for the, for the basement, and they can't run the vent pipe or, or the gas pipe or whatever to her gas stove or whatever it was at that time and they're going to have to redraw it and and go back and, and have some girder trusses made so that they can run these things through and not not cut into beams how does the and drafter they, not get sued in this situation they, gonna, they made her pay the difference was I the had, drafter in-house yeah he wasn't a uh. i had to go to her and ask her for another twenty eight hundred dollars or whatever and i, I said this is wrong this mm. is wrong we made the mistake we should eat it well we can't we're, we don't we don't we don't have enough margin on this house we're gonna have to just have her pay for that i said that's not right um and they made me do it and i went in and did it and now i still know the lady to this day if so. you if you don't mind me asking how did you how did you sell that because there's the way you can sell it and say you know you just straight up lie i told her or you can say hey look we made a mistake uh and it's going to cost you extra money I, and we're I, really sorry i, I mean how do you her, go about that i softened that? it i told her i said that there's been a design situation here where your gas uh, design uh, they did not fully account for the cost and we need to have some more money and she didn't balk i mean that's fair she, she, she you approached her honestly yes well i didn't tell the whole truth i, I didn't mm. state it as harshly as i wanted to state it because um the company would have shot me for that yeah um, do you regret that in some ways, I'm still friends with her now, and I've taken her kayaking stuff, so I feel like maybe I've made up for it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, 
Well, that's good. I've that's remained her friend, and I always cared about her as a person. When she came in and told me about her husband passing away, um, I stood up, and she came up and hugged me, and she just started bawling. Oh. I said, I will make sure that you are taken care of and that your husband's wishes are, are executed correctly. Mm. And, and that's what I felt was my solemn promise to her. And then when the drafting people, and, and they had already started the house, and they said, well, we've got to go get beams made, and it's going to cost more of these laminate beams. Or, or trusses, whatever it was, were going to cost more because of her, her having gas mm-hmm. as far as the uh, um, stove or whatever, uh, or gas fireplace. I can't remember what it was. Uh, if she hadn't asked for that, we wouldn't be at this point. But since she wanted that, and but she said that from the outset. That right. was already there in the design. Yeah. They should have known. Yeah. It was clearly their fault, and yet they made her pay for the upcharge. Mm. And, uh, and s- I still don't feel totally comfortable about it, but at this point, um, I don't know. Maybe she wouldn't have cared anyway. Um, but I, I did tell her. I did tell her there was a there was a mess mm. up. Um, but I could have stated it strongly and said, you know what, you should be paying for this. You know, that's that was my opinion, but I had to hold it back. Yeah, well, and that's the thing um, too is you want to present the the customer with the case, with the situation. Yeah. And really, it's their role to judge. In right. the end, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you can have your feelings about it, but. Yeah, and this incident, among yeah. many other incidences, where I, I did not feel good about myself walking out the door at night uh, to go home. Uh, so every I, I just I was determined after the manager misjudging my character and, and trying to use manipulative tactics to improve the numbers to make him mm-hmm. look better, which is really what it was all about. Uh, and he said, "Yeah, I want to see you make more money," but I, you know, I don't think it was really about that. It was about making him look better. Um, mm-hmm. At, this, at that point, I didn't care, but uh, so I would go over to across the interstate for my lunch hour, and I determined I was going to use every lunch hour to lay tracks mm-hmm. to make a new path out of there. Here we go back to the train. Yeah, well, that's uh, how I ended up uh, uh, getting my CompTIA A plus certification. Uh, as I was every lunch break, I made sure I took a full lunch break when I was working at Firestone. I don't know. Well, I was. Didn't know that. I think we just both independently pursued so the same I, so goal, and you just lunch, you so make it work. And the great thing was, the Bass Pro Shop has a great building that makes me feel like I'm out in the outdoors. Nice. So I would be sitting in front of the waterfall there, the, the fake waterfall, and the aquarium. You got these fish, huge aquarium, and, the, and looking at this building that is the absolute epitome of marketing. They, they have not, yeah. They have not missed a beat. No, they've not got that dialed beat. in. The, everything from the steel beams being disguised as trees, uh, and they've used real trees to put around the beams, to the concrete footprints of animals outside as you walk in yeah. the sidewalk, to the sign itself, which took me a long time to figure out what the sign was all about. Um, the yellow sign, the fish. Mm-hmm. I go, oh, it's a, what is that it's about? A moon. It's a moon. And the bass is jumping in front of the moon. Oh, uh, well, so is it jumping in front of the moon, or is it jumping... And there's a it, is it jumping? Is something. it jumping? And you're seeing the reflection of the moon in the water. It, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's the moon in the background. But we might have to post this on. It, it I might took me put this on to Twitter. Figure it out. I go, oh, because <laughs> oh, I knew these people were sharp. They were really sharp. So I admired what they did. And so I'm in this environment of, of great marketing, and I'm sitting in front of the great outdoors, synthetically, albeit with a, the waterfall and the stuffed animals, taxidermy all around me, and I'm like, yeah, okay. So I'm thinking, what would I want to do in my life yeah. with the skill sets I have that's realistic or a skill set that I could grow into further and further refine, mm-hmm. and what do I have the capacity money-wise or transportation-wise to actually get into? And so I came up with the idea of, of a hiking uh, tour guide, and um, mm-hmm. I thought, well, 
I'm making decent money right now, but I'm miserable. I hate it. I hate it with a passion, and it's killing me. It's poisoning me, and now I can't even put on the brave face going into work anymore because I don't yeah. believe in what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm not paying attention like I should. I'm falling down on the job. I'm not as confident. Mm-hmm. I'm becoming incompetent, and they're going to fire me eventually because I'm just, I hate it. I don't want to yeah. be here. So um, I spent every lunch hour uh, planning and trying to sort out, and I thought of the Groupon campaign. Mm-hmm. I thought of uh, TripAdvisor. I thought of how I could offer myself with photography to make it uh, um, a cost, uh, make it a uh, enhanced value. Yeah, yeah. So they had a benefit. They get a yeah. free photograph. I was offering eleven by fourteens, and that was too expensive. I had to cut it down to eight by tens. Now I'm down to five by sevens. I may have hurt mm-hmm. myself. On and that. you and I have talked about too, just going with a. The, the potential of a, a digital right. included because there's no print cost to right. that. Right. And, and then, I do give, and then uh, giving the option of a, a hard copy if well, you they, want they, it. And that well, they at get, least, they get yeah. a hard copy right now, five by seven, which doesn't cost me much. I send it by U S mail. So it's maybe four or $5 and then they get a digital file if they ask for it. I give it to them, but most people don't care about it. Yeah. So, and then they get an option to go on the website and download the rest of the prints and all those at high resolution for $39. So, Nice. So, so all in all, they paid maybe $75, $89, or $87 for the hike, if it's a general hike and not a private hike, and then they're paying another uh, $40 for extra prints. So I come away with um, maybe uh, $110, $120 out of average sale, more like $100. Uh, with tip, the average tip is about $20 per event, which is pretty good. Um, and then I offer enhanced things where they can do a private hike for hundred forty nine dollars mm-hmm. I call it private romantic hike it can either be romantic or it can be a private just with a family uh, or two people or one person I won't uh, hike any for any less than the price of two people a uh, single person that's, comes along makes I, sense I have a minimum it's gonna have to be the price of two people or I'm not gonna show up um, or I won't book them well I mean it's so it's not a matter of it's not really the price of two people what it is is it's the price that's the minimum necessary right. for a guide and right. what you're doing is you're actually giving a, a bonus in that, look, I would charge this for one person. Right. You get an extra person for free. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it, yeah, it's, it, it, it makes and a lot plus, of sense. Plus 12 kids, uh, kids 12 and under are free always. So. Oh, that's great. Um, so what you're doing is you're getting a, a chance to not only provide a service for the adults, but right. I think it's really important in the high-tech age that we're in now kids need to be connecting with nature as yeah. much as possible. And I believe in that. And I yeah. try to give families a break. Sounds like I, it. Because I had a family and we didn't have enough money to go to Disney World. Um, and, and I know what it's like to have a family. You already got tons of expenses and yeah, vacation. Some people spend thousands and some people can't. So for me, if they, if they want to spend thousands on me, yeah, they can hire me for several private hikes and then I offer kayaking, private kayaking yeah. to an island. That's a fairly up, recent thing, right? A bonfire. Well, it's been going on about three years now. Three years, three, yeah. Four years. Um, do a bonfire, set them up with s'mores and hot dogs, and then I leave the island, give them a little bit of time alone, and they text me when they're ready for me to come back, and we pack up and paddle back under the stars with our headlamps on. And that's been a huge emotional uh, event for myself. I always enjoy it, and the people that do it just absolutely love it. And nobody's offering anything like what I'm doing. I have no competition in that area. But I haven't well, managed, managed till, to till whoever sees this um, <laughs> decides to so do it. <laughs> but I haven't managed to uh, expand it much either, so I'm kind of stymied. i got to do better. Yeah. And then there's the group thing where I've actually taken families 
group kayaking and group kayaking and group camping on an island in the lake and group camping into the park um, along with a hike. So there's a lot of variations, but it mainly boils down to either private hikes, private kayaking, or uh, I mean group hikes, private hikes, uh, group kayaking, or private kayaking. And those are the two categories I'm feeling like it should stay in. And all of them usually include a photography um, premium picture that's included or a couple of pictures if you're paying for the premium hikes the private ones so no and uh, so far not a single thing you've listed is something that you can get from a park ranger service i mean you can get the you can get the rough idea on where to go you can yeah, get some yeah. some outlines of the the map and hey uh this is kind of a rougher hike than this hike is and here's roughly the distance right and the, you know the trail conditions right Generally, yes unless you catch but, their schedule at the right time of year they will conduct group hikes where you can go along for free yeah but you're talking um, about an immersive experience i mean that is right. what you're describing yeah, uh, these hikes, that's not what a park ranger can get these hikes can be advanced level hikes i offer people two options one's the easy two-hour hike which still has a waterfall and has views we go nice an area yeah. with views the other one is much more expanded, much more history, but it's the history, uh, the narration of what they're seeing on the trail that adds the value. Anybody can go walk a trail by themselves, but they don't know what to do if they get out there ill-equipped or if they come across a black bear or if they are in the area, they don't know what they're seeing. And we talk about vegetation to some degree, but mostly about the history of the area, a cabin. I have artifacts along the trail that I know where they are. Nobody wow. knows where they are. So yeah. they get... They get a very unique experience. It's a very personalized experience. And I tell everybody that's on the hike, if I've got two or three couples, which is about the average, sometimes I've had as many as 50 at one time, but generally it's two or three couples that go with me, oftentimes just one couple, even on the general hikes uh, that are not private. But I tell them this hike is about you. I'm not going to do it the same way I did it before. I'm not going to give you a canned speech and spiel. Here are the subjects I talk about, the Cherokee Indian history, the... Um, um, Settlers' history that came in after the Cherokee, hmm. uh, including uh, the despicable President uh, Jackson, and uh, the uh, the history having to do around uh, the Trail of Tears, eighteen eighty, hmm. uh, yeah. uh, uh, Indian Removal Act of eighteen eighty, mm-hmm. and um, and then I talk about uh, the bear behavior, what to do, what not to do, which the park requires me to teach you that before <laughs> you go on the trail. It's fair, and also about uh, about leave no trace. Of how you should treat the outdoors when you're there visiting and what to do what not to do um, as far as if you have to go use the restroom and if you've got trash or anything like that um, how we can take care of that so among that and then other things as far as Dolly Parton history I threw in stories about Dolly they're about as popular as the bear stories yeah we should probably back up a little bit um, because we haven't actually established where this is taking place this is in so we've got the, of yeah so we're we're outside of Gatlinburg in the Pigeon right. Forge area the Sevierville and Great Smokies National Park. Yeah, and uh, and the name of the the hiking company. If it's we wanted to look Smokies S M O K Y S. Right, because because you know the Smokies we spell it weird. Right. Hi- but do you know why we sm- spell it like that? I've always well, wondered. I'm spelling it incorrectly. You're spelling it incorrectly. Yeah. But I've yeah. seen this on other advertising where well, they drop bear, the Smoky e. Bear, S M O K E Y Smoky Bear. Um, yeah. Uh, Great Smokies National Park is I E S. That's the proper. Okay. Uh, when you're talking about, um, I don't know if it's present tense, past what is it? Uh, Great Smoky Mountains. Okay. Uh, that would be S-M-O-K-Y, Great Smoky Mountains. Yeah, why is it drop uh, the E? 
I've always wondered. Because it's, it's <laughs> I, I don't know what the English term is for it, but that's correct. Um, the E is only used with Smokey Bear. That was a unique really? campaign. Yeah. Yeah. So I use S-M-O-K-Y, which mm-hmm. is incorrect spelling, but it's unique for a brand. So that's why yeah. I use hikethesmokies.com. I keep .com in there, so that's a no-brainer to try to find me. Find yeah. Everything I print. So. <laughs> it makes Seems to make so sense. That's, that's pretty much it. So I, the hiking actually was uh, the path uh, I got on on the trail was not to try to kill myself work, uh, <laughs> hiking a, a zillion million miles. It actually has improved my health. And at my age now, I'm 62 years old, and my numbers look better than most 62-year-olds. I'm still not where I should be on a lot of things. I'm still right now 15 pounds above weight where I want to be. Uh, mm-hmm. But my resting pulse is a 43. What? So that freaks out people. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> I had, a doctor, wow. I had a doctor try that, to send me to the emergency room. Uh, his, I mean, that's Olympic athlete type heart rates. tried to send me to the emergency room about yeah. a year, two years ago. Okay. And I, I dropped them as my doctor because I said, I hike for a living. This is what I do for a living. Sometimes I hike 15 to 25 miles in a day. Um, the other day we did 19, and then we did 15 after sleeping in a shelter overnight. So wow. that was extremely stressful, and mm-hmm. I thought I was going to die the last six miles. Um, <laughs> and I got dehydrated. Right, we talked about that. But yeah. I bounced back. And yeah, we, we finished, yeah. but it, well, and, it was absolute impulse power. I was totally done with warp speed. I was yeah. totally dragging myself. Uh, and we got to where it was a, a mile and a half descent down to the lights that we could see of uh, Hot Springs, North yeah. Carolina. And, and that city was so butt ugly when we went in there to drop <laughs> our, We dropped our car off, and I said, this has got to be the most ugly looking city. Yeah. Town. It's a crappy little town Yeah. in the daytime. And by the time we hiked 30-something miles and she was finishing up her 75 miles, we're going down the mountain. And I saw those lights. I said, that's the most beautiful city I've ever right? seen. Right? <laughs> and she agreed. She said, yeah. oh, it's gorgeous. Oh, my goodness. So, but we it, both agreed how drab and crappy it is. Yeah. They got this little tiny gas station that closed at 6 o'clock. By the time we got there, it was closed. Which, but, you know, in dollar, this in this part of General, Tennessee, they might just close at 2 o'clock because it was slow that oh, day. Yeah. Right, yeah. But this Dollar, <laughs> dollar General store is back behind these gas tanks of this gas station. They have above-ground gas tanks for petroleum, which is weird. And back there's yeah. a little warehouse. A little old school. Dollar General sign that wasn't lit up. And we're like, oh, no, they've closed Dollar General. We can't go in there and get Pepsis and, and potato chips and stuff. And recharge, get some potassium in you. We were famished. Yeah. So we walk in, and it was still... A, was still open you just don't turn that sign off <laughs> the town's so small everybody everybody knows everybody knows yeah it's like yeah it yeah. was just a dumpy little town and it, God, it was so nice to be there um so one of the things that's important i think too we you know we're talking about getting to that edge of athletic ability and starting to yeah you know, start dealing with the dehydration and the low blood sugar and that's something that you've really done a good job of that i've seen in the last few years is you've started finding through experience, how to properly address those situations. So should you find yourself in an emergency situation, either for yourself or for somebody else that's on the trail, your experience is going to keep everybody safe, including yourself. And in some cases you push, you're going to get to that limit. But I think I go overboard with safety. I carry Garmin uh, satellite tracker, which has satellite communication. And I've actually had to use it for myself when I slipped and fell on the ice and knocked myself out. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, I mean, you can't forget. March, like, this is still March. dangerous. For like, three minutes, I was sleeping and snoring yeah. on the Appalachian Trail. So. Was it a good sleep? Did you feel rested when you woke up? I woke up, and there was these <laughs> three beautiful girls looking down at me. And I said, well, that's well, just kind of weird. Muslim, and I've gone sirens? And you sure they weren't uh, sirens? This is 69 <laughs> of the 72 virgins, I guess. 
<laughs> yeah. So when did you convert to Islam? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, my they, goodness. They, they held me arm in arm all the way down another mile and a half of the trail to the car. And by the time the rescue rangers got there from our SOS, from my satellite unit, uh, I was already fine. And I said, don't worry about doing yeah. medical stuff. I'm going to go to the hospital. And when did you, go, when did you do yeah. your next hike? Like, you, you got checked out. You made sure uh, everything was good. Day. But I was on the trail the, the next day. Yeah, and I felt foggy. Talk brain. about getting back on the I, in the I saddle. I was foggy brain for about two days. I yeah, mean, two weeks. Two weeks. I felt foggy. Brain. Yeah, but not to the point where you felt concerned because yeah. obviously you wouldn't have gone well, hiking. It, it really my short-term memory is bad. Well, I mean to the is. point where you, you would not put clients in danger. No, but right, I knew yeah. my short-term. I would be asking them questions that I routinely ask them, like where are you from, yeah. uh, what kind of work do you do, and then I'd two seconds later I'd be asking the same question again, and I caught myself, and I'm like, ooh, this is weird. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So I knew there was some effect. It takes sure. somebody my age about a multiple of uh, two or three times the amount of minutes you're unconscious to recover, times weeks. Yeah. So like that would have been like six weeks for me. And it hasn't deterred you. Like you're, you're back there. You're no, you're still doing I, hikes. I you're doing one, more hikes. One eye on the trail. Uh, my retina separated. They told me not to hike while I was losing my retina, and it went completely when I went ahead and hiked anyway. Well. It's, Sometimes they know what they're talking about. Well, right? I had these appointments. I, I couldn't. <laughs> right, yeah. The, yeah. The people that had their uh, surprise engagements planned, and I, I didn't feel like yeah. I, I canceled it. Who's going to do it? It's going to yeah. blow the whole trip, and that's why they were coming to, to the Smokies. So foolishly, I guess, looking back, I mean, my family was so angry at me for doing it, uh, my sister especially. Uh, I just laughed. But but I, I went in and did it, and, <laughs> and they reattached the retina, and it was a miracle. The doctor said, you got your miracle. I said, well, I think I'm in good hands, and you're going to do a miracle, and he did. And nice. Right eye is still not right. Um, the horizons are all weird, uh, so it's yeah. it's not all that usable other than some peripheral. Um, so I'm I've been hiking with my left eye for the past year and a half or so, and that's been difficult. So I hike with poles. If I don't have my hiking poles, I can really hurt. Myself. And that's that's something that I've noticed you tend to require for yeah. I make my your uh, at least your clients. Yeah. So couple of questions um first one and it's, we'll, it's we'll, all about safety even though i charge them a rental fee it's oh yeah absolutely a pole and yeah. i say look you got to have one or you don't hike with me and i've had some people say well i'm an experienced hiker and i said well you're going to use a pole <laughs> if you're an experienced hiker you're probably absolutely. using if you a pole don't pay me for it that's fine but you're going to still use it yeah right and, and i insist and then usually uh 99 have said hey i'm a convert i get it now right uh you know in mountain biking it's um it's things like wearing a helmet every single time. You know, yeah. you've got those guys that say, I don't need a helmet. It's like, tell you what, yeah, a friend of mine just went over the bars. He's been riding for 20 years, went over the bars. He was tired, hit a rock the, a funny way. When he landed, the there that particular trail has a pointy rock mm-hmm. right at the edge of the trail. And he clocked himself right in the cranium. right, Not really the soft spot and not really the side of your head, but right in that middle ground he was wearing a helmet and the entire helmet was caved in like it did what it was supposed to do it, it eggshelled and properly right. crumpled and and but it, he was out there by himself that day he would have been dead he would have been dead and i mean when it comes down to it look when the professional t- tells you hey look this is a standard we do this there's probably a really good reason for it and even though yeah. you haven't run into it in your your amateur pursuits of these things the pros have have seen it enough to where it's like look it takes two seconds to strap on a pole and it's what 
<laughs> how many grams in weight to carry. I mean, what's two ounces? Yeah, a couple cheap like, Walmart poles. Yeah, they're a little heavier, but you're not going down the Appalachian Trail too far. But but no other hiking group that I know of, uh, no other hiking tour group requires people to to have a pole. I'm, yeah, I'm the only one. Well, and, and you've seen it with your clients before. And I've thought about just saying, well, I'll just throw it in for free. And sometimes I do on the easier trail. I'll I'll say, look, I'll give you the option. You know, you don't have to have it on this trail because it's a flat and yeah. wide trail it used to be a railroad bed for a train a logging train so okay you know it's it's there's not a lot of trip hazards uh, although we have to cross one or two little streams uh it makes stream rock hopping as we call it much easier to to uh dance across the lock rocks without getting your feet wet you can do that much easier with hiking poles especially two but i only require one well and you also get multiple points of contact with the surface when you're trying to yeah and any now- kind of yeah. slight balance problem uh, on a trail can turn into a big disaster even on a nice mm-hmm. safe trail because you do have drop-offs i mean off the side of the mountain sure Anytime you hike up you're you got <laughs> there is a down if you're up right? exactly <laughs> and some of these things are pretty steep and yeah. if you were to fall you might you'd roll you might hit a tree and hit pretty hard i mean you may not roll all the way down the mountain but it's going to hurt um, some areas are actually cliffs uh, not the ones i'd normally take people on but you do have some cables you have to hold on this would be something you see on the advanced trail that yeah that you I'm offer doing yeah. a, a full week of hiking with somebody which i've been hired to do like a guy from england <clears throat> who hired me for a full week of camping and hiking yeah um, but um getting back to the trail thing that the whole circle about the uh, depression and everything uh the trail became my uh my path my yellow brick road mm-hmm. so to speak of of uh, redemption and finding um finding a way to break away from the all the failures of the past, for the most part, they still haunt me. But um, you get out in the environment that God's created for us, and you you see that there's a bigger picture for everything. And uh, it, it actually, they know scientifically now that hiking, I don't know why they pick out hiking. I think it's probably true of cross-country skiing and some other things. But there's been studies that, that now say that hiking uniquely transforms the brain. Mm. They know that it actually, and that's why there's a lot of veterans out doing uh working off their PTSD on the trail. In you fact, think it's the exploratory element, or what do you think? I don't know. Hmm. Uh, like I said, I would suspect that other sports, maybe sailing and maybe anything where you're going out and uh, breaking away from the norms and you're challenging no. yourself with the elements, uh, it, it gets your mind in another mode. Uh, you forget your problems, and they, they know it increases optimism. ADD kids, hyperactive ADD kids do extremely well. Yeah. When I've had these kids on the trail with me, very rarely do I have one that's disruptive or a problem they usually are stimulated so much as they keep walking they're getting a brand new scene it's like a frame rate in the camera right a refresh 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 and they go around a curve and there's another refresh some of them will get tired and a little bit cranky but generally they they do so much better well there's adults. that element too we know that add one of the things that's been causing it is a lack of rough and tumble play especially in young males yeah. And if you're getting out in nature and you're, well, I mean, you're engaging in rough and tumble with the world. You're actually doing it. Yeah, and the endorphins um, start to flow. And yeah. That's another thing in your blood. And that's what probably brought me out of depression was the endorphin mm-hmm. uh, thing of going to spin class, building up my uh, glutes. That helped me to be a better climber even when I was heavy. And then, then I got out on the trail and I'd, I'd, I'd get on the trail and do five miles and go, this is awful. My legs are killing me. And I was wearing these cheap Kmart boots made by Coleman. And my feet just, we went all the way up to Mount Entry Mount. level. We and say entry level. Die. Yeah. And I just realized, oh, i got to get better boots. And that helped. And then I'd go and do a 10-mile hike. And i go, why in the world did I ever do a 10-mile hike? That was the stupidest thing I ever did. I'd be in the shower 
after the hike saying, I'm never going to do that again. That's, that was stupid. And I put the hot water on my legs and it would start feeling better. And then I start going, well, maybe I'll do that 15 mile hike here. <laughs> yeah. And so I gradually, I started yeah. increasing. I go, oh, it's crazy. Why did I do a 15 mile hike? That hurts so bad, man. I feel awful. And I'd come in, your mom would see me and I'd be like delirious just because I was dehydrating. <laughs> Barely, yeah. Yeah. You're pushing yourself to that. Under control and my legs were like rubber. And yeah. Like, and getting out of the car is the most painful part of the hike after you've driven home. For thirty minutes, you can't right. get out of the car, and now yeah. I'm going, and you, ah, and especially yelling. if you're in a stick shift. Yeah. If you ever try to work the clutch after a hike like that, it's no, like it just no. it kind of flops. I couldn't do it, <laughs> and so and so this became my redemption, redemptive, redemptive path. Um, and I started feeling better, and I started seeing the weight coming down. I'm going, ah, my pants aren't fitting anymore; they're loose, and and I still have my belt. The belt loops, man, they're they're. I was wearing like a 45. They're, they become belt slots instead yeah, of belt like, loops. Yeah, yeah. 34, maybe 32. Notches. Belt, you know, that time of day. Yeah. Um, but but I started seeing success and then uh, I became obsessed with it. And probably it's my one subject I talk about where everybody's probably sick of hearing it. But I'm, I'm, I'm finding that I find people more interesting and I have a great uh, love and renewed interest in the public mm. because I was getting jaded with the public. I... I People coming in, interrupting sales will do that. Interrupting me constantly. Yeah. I could never finish a task before I would get interrupted with somebody else with a question, and they weren't going to tell me the truth half the time. Um, mm. It seemed like a lot of financial things, and you'd waste your time because they really couldn't qualify for a loan, and they knew it, and they still wanted to play some kind of game. And and I was getting so burnt out on the whole thing that once I got on the trail, I realized that people from all over the world are coming to hike with me, and they're, they're actually very nice people, and people that I've had bias against i've had some of the best times with uh mm. from india pakistan or american indians I've, I've taken half dozen cherokee on their own trails and told them their own history that they didn't even know i've seen um, this is gonna <clears throat> sound weird but i've seen you getting smarter like the experiences that are open well, well i was a dumb father <laughs> well we're all stupid all right <laughs> um and we're all trying to well, pursue we're all ignorant of something well, well yes we're all ignorant of some things and many of us are willfully ignorant and what you've been doing yeah yeah at least a little bit um willful ignorance you know that's when you're engaging in just you know you you should know better and you choose not to learn it right and i think in your honest pursuit of this you've been given multiple opportunities to be willfully ignorant with other cultures like you're describing other personalities and you've had that opportunity and rather than sticking with that path of choosing not to look you've taken that honest look and i think each time that happens i I do think there is something to it and it wakes up parts of our brain and it helps us become more the person that we could become if all of our mind is is awakened yeah they say now that that hiking actually grows part of the brain i'm not sure that'd be interesting to see or if they're talking about neurotransmitters or, or what they're saying it actually physically changes the brain and i i think it's true i mean at my age i'm still suffering a lot of things of old age uh, forgetfulness things like that but in, in other ways when i look at people my age and even younger um i feel like it's it's still keeping me my edge uh far better than if i were sedentary and, and unchallenged for one thing i would probably be depressed again because i didn't mm. i didn't have a uh, i don't have that much
much of a goal orientation other than to be on the trail. So what would I be doing with myself? I don't know. I'd probably be on the computer and trying to create. You can get lost in Facebook depression quickly. Yeah. Social media depression is it's it's a. Well, social media Black for hole. me is sort of a thrill ride because I go out and shoot pictures of, of, of a hike and adventure, and then then I get to throw it up on this public thing and, and see what people thought of it. And, yeah. And uh, part of that's ego, and part of it is, uh, you know, hey, guys, look what I got, you know, and I hope you approve. Well, then sometimes if they don't click on enough, then you might think, oh, that, that wasn't that interesting. I guess I thought it was interesting, but they didn't. And then you start working your mind towards what you think they want, and then that's the wrong way to go. So what I'm trying to do is keep enough interest in what I do that other people find it contagious and they want to hike with me. And if they hike with me for money, that's great. Um, that's really what my goal is. If I get a lot of people that want to hike with me for free and I let them do it. I have other people I say, well, this is what the fee will be. Uh, if I sense that they're coming at me a certain way, I, I change my methodology. But uh, I'm, I'm trying to look at going back to doing some community hikes so at least the local community knows more about me and I'm much more visible and I'm getting a lot mm. of referrals now from people that are influencers on Facebook that are now noticing me and they know that I'm a reliable, um, consistent, uh, safe guide that they can send their friends to or people that um, they come across in, in their professions. They, they want somebody that they uh, feel safe with. I get a lot of husbands who send me their wives to hike with them because... <laughs> and, Wives who send me their husband because they don't want their <laughs> husband out on the trail by themselves. They yeah. Say, Look, this guy, he's got satellite communication. He's been doing it for years. <clears throat> he's uh, experienced. He knows these trails. He knows when the weather comes in, what you're going to be up against, what kind of things to pack in your backpack, what kind of first aid things uh, he'll have those with him. Um, you know, what trail would be suited for your uh, for where you are physically. Not everybody can do certain right. trails. Right. Yeah. And, and they might do that's them, one they, of the key things I think too. It. Yeah. They, they could maybe do it. It might take them all night to do it. Yeah. It might be coming and they may and never want to do it ever again. Right? Yeah. And so many people get on the trail yeah. and they risk uh, getting themselves in a predicament and coming not coming back alive. Well, and so that's the, I think, the hike is not the experience. The hike is the vehicle for the experience. Right. And if you get those confused, it sounds like it could that's be a, a problem. Yeah. Mm. That's a great way to put it. And. Hikes are, are many epic journeys of life. Um, they really uh, they really are. You have ups and downs. You have stream crossings. You have Mountains, to analyze. Rivers. And that's probably one reason why the brain growth occurs, where they're talking about brain growth and being so healthy. Is mm. You have to, first of all, if you're going to take an overnight or even a day hike, to do it correctly, you need to plan. You've got, yeah. to, you've got to ration your assets. You've got to figure mm. out how much of a load your back can carry comfortably. What items are most important? You have to start prioritizing issues, and it gets complex. You yeah. can get into some complexities because if you're starting down in the low valley and you're going to climb all the way up the Appalachian Trail, there's going to be a 20-degree difference baseline, maybe more with wind chill, and maybe way more if you get wet. And uh, so you have to have preparation for three or four different uh, climates yeah. in one day. Yeah, and, and that's, and that's, that's something that... Yeah, you're not going to know as a tourist coming to a particular no. environment unless that's, you really that's, research. That's how one died and even then, you're still really. Yeah, last September on a warm day. Mm. And it was exposure. Yeah. She oh my goodness. First, dehydration. Yeah. And then she got way off course. Was supposed to meet her daughter. She oh was my within, goodness. She was within a tenth of a so mile sad. of meeting her daughter. And they were just doing a quick day hike. They hopped out of the car. Said, "Let's go down this trail wow. down from Clingman's Dome, and then we'll come back up." And the daughter said, well, hey, how about if I go ahead and go up to Clingman's Dome and check out the tower and the view? Because, Mom, I know mm-hmm. you're not feeling that great. You don't want to go that fast. And 
and I'll meet you at the parking lot. You got to go back up, just turn right, and yeah. see you at the parking lot. And she forgot to turn right. She got dehydrated, didn't read the sign right, mm, started getting dark. Goodness. The rains came in on a warm day, and it turned into a chilly night, and she got high, uh, de- uh, dehydrated, misread two signs, and walked two miles west the wrong direction on the Appalachian Trail. And for when you get fuzzy brain, when you're dehydrated, she, and she started getting hypothermic, mm-hmm. she went off the trail down in some of the worst terrain possible, and they oh, found her body no way. later naked laying in a stream. No way. Yeah. Hypothermic, your last phase is you think you're too hot. Right. And she took off all her clothes and laid down in the water. Oh, wow. What a tragedy. She lost her mom, uh, who was just hiking with her. And it, um, and it's a tenth of a mile away, she made the wrong turn. And uh, they would have, they would have been together, united at the parking lot if she'd made that right turn. Such a harsh reminder, too, that we're talking about doing something for a, a joyful experience, but the danger is ever present. Yeah. And the moment you don't, respect that danger it does come to get you i know you need to hit the road we've yeah. we had talked about doing 30 minutes we're at an hour oh, an hour 20. and two uh so far uh, i did want to ask you one last thing to kind of wrap things up uh-huh. we've got the first step's the hardest so for people that are out there that are thinking you know what maybe hiking is something that would help me start spinning up a positive feedback loop of of getting out of the rut and getting those little accomplishments that mm-hmm. get me going again. What are some basic things? Like what kind of equipment should I have? Who should I talk to? Where, where, what are some resources on how to just get started and get my feet wet? And then if I wanted to pursue you, how would I do that? Well, first you don't want to get your feet wet. <laughs> if you do bring in a spare set of socks and a spare set of boots. Yeah. That's hard to do. Then you got to carry the weight. That's a lot of weight. Yeah. I would do day hikes, but always prepare to stay overnight. Wow. Get a day pack, an eight liter day pack from Walmart, uh, Ozark Trail, or one of those uh, ones I carry the outdoors product. They're pretty good. They're not as light and spiffy as the really expensive ones, but mm-hmm. go ahead and get one of those, cinch up the straps to where it's comfortable on you, and put in a hefty trash bag, construction grade bag. Construction grade. Um, That's, a, that would be on the box. A trash compactor bag. Just buy it. Just buy bags. Industrial trash bags and carry one with you for an overnight poncho that will keep mm-hmm. your heat in. You can uh, rip holes in it for your eyes and your mouth, and that will keep the rain off of you. You get uh, incapacitated on the trail because it's so easy. That's the biggest danger is a day hiker. It's not the overnight hikers. Overnight hikers carry shelter with them, and uh, the day hikers don't. And it was the day hiker that died in the park last. Oh, wow. And because she didn't have any preparation to spend the night, that's what killed her. If she mm-hmm. had uh, water, if she'd had a map, yeah. if she'd had a compass, or even her phone, um, and a phone that would work in that area. In our area, the phones don't work a lot, so you have to yeah. use GPS with satellite communication. Uh, but in any of those cases, if you know how to read a compass, which a lot of people don't, and use a map, at least carry a map. Uh, you would be surprised. When I quiz people coming on the trail and they ask me questions about where such and such is, I said, do you have a map? First question. Yeah. No, I don't have a map. I'm sorry, I can't help you. Trail map. Do you go back yeah. and get a map? I'm not going to help. That's you. something that's important in um, mountain biking too. That's something I've yeah, picked I, up. I've it's, just decided yeah. I'm aiding and betting their demise if I mm. help them because I'm going to tell them further into the trail they're going to get themselves into more trouble. Yeah. And I, I I don't cooperate and they get very upset with me now and I, I just say, well, you're going to get over it because I'm not going to do it. So yeah. carry uh, carry something. So uh, we got water, water, hydration bag, uh, and plenty of water over a liter, at least if you're doing a day over hike, a liter. Okay. A liter and a half, um, carry matches or some kind of fire starter or lighter Yeah. and carry, um, um, uh, a 
means of writing, handwriting, a notepad uh, that can stay dry. Put everything in a Ziploc. If you need to leave a note somewhere, it's important because we usually use our phones now, yeah. and, and that's going to die. If you have a small pocket knife, you don't need to carry a hatchet knife. or a Bowie knife or anything like that. Just yeah. a small cutting tool of some sort, um, so you can cut holes in your trash bag to make your eyes. And Survival stuff. blanket. Uh, no, just the, for the trash bag works as a small Does it? Blanket. Okay. If yeah. you could buy this, buy an SOL. There's a brand called SOL. You can buy it. it's very lightweight. Uh, survival. Shit out of luck, really. Little, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's when you're going to use it, right? It's the like little, you. The little, <laughs> the little metallic ones are yeah. little, are not really that effective. Um, not as effective as you would think. They're they're really not yeah. very effective, um, uh, and they crinkle. You can't sleep because they'll crinkle. Um, yeah, that noise but, is terrible. Uh, the other thing is the uh, you want to carry a rain poncho. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you don't have the trash bag. Um, and um, good I, would, I would say that that's uh, that's pretty much a uh, flashlight. Good, a headlamp, good boots. Headlamp. Good boots. Headlamp. Of course, Footwear. you got to wear some good boots, yeah. but you don't have to. I mean, if your ankles roll, that can incapacitate you. That's Something with some support. Yeah, half boots. I wear mm. these half boots. I used to wear trail runners. I can't do it anymore because I rolled my ankle. And, Ouch. Uh, that can, you can be stuck out on the trail with just a rolled ankle. So if you don't protect your ankles... At least carry a ace bandage so you can wrap yourself up if you do hurt yourself. Uh, and carry a small medical kit or just a few bandages. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing elaborate. And that's really that's really about it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, poles. Main, mainly fire. <laughs> well, yeah, if you want to use hiking poles. So, or even if you find a good stick, poles, right? A good poles sapling. Are, poles are much Fought, by far superior. But if you're out there stick. and you're just a new uh, guy out there. Poles are lightweight. Yeah. They're adjustable. And mm. you won't have anything that might hurt you. Ah, uh, that's a good point. Uh, the um, so poles, uh, something to start a fire with, uh, something to write messages with. Um, Illumination and, and extra food snacks, some mm -hmm. energy bars, more than you think you need for that day. But don't carry a can of beans and all that. Just carry a few more food bars. Roughly how many? How many calories you, you are you thinking hmm. for it's something like that? that? I mean, obviously, bases. It's roughly based on a your average person. I would just say if you've got 1,500, 2,000 calories, something like that. If you're going to eat any, anything on the trail, add another of what you're going to eat on the trail. Just add just double one. it yeah, for a day trip. You just want to make yeah. it through the night. You're, gonna, yeah. you're not going to burn up that makes sense. amount of calories unless you're freezing to death. Um, but uh, So anyway, uh, that's that's really it. But you want to have a headlamp, fire starter, uh, cover for rain, be it a trash bag or, or a, a good poncho. And uh, you want to have something to wrap your ankle if you hurt yourself. Um, that's a little extra than what most people carry. A small uh, bandage kit, just mm -hmm. in case, and a knife, I think I mentioned. Or some yeah, cutting some tool. kind of cutting tool. Um, and uh, that's really about it. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty simple. You can usually get that for under 40 bucks all in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, so it's not an expensive thing. You could probably borrow it from some one of your camping buddies at uh, yeah. school, church, wherever. There's always that prepper, right? Hit them yeah. up. He wants to. He likes to be helpful. Borrow well, some of his and gear, you know. I do is I carry duct tape. I wrap it around my hiking poles, uh, about two or three feet of it, just yeah. in case. In case the sole comes off of your boot or your shoe, yeah. that can be really a pain in the butt. Uh, oh, I bet. Down the trail with a floppy sole. So oh you can gosh, yeah. Put that duct tape around it yeah. and make it down the trail and be done. Nice. Uh, some people carry self defense. I believe it's a good idea to carry uh, pepper spray uh, for the two legged critters as mm. well as the four legged critters. <laughs> Especially if you're a woman, yeah. I think it's best to go ahead and buy the. Or somebody of a slender build. Right. Because, you know, we've got a lot of. I mean, it's a modern age. We've got a lot of guys that are just not built stocky like you and I are. Right. And well, 
I think it's uh, just a good idea in case you yeah. get a wild dog. I've had dogs attack me on the trail. Uh, you can have a rabid raccoon that like attacked. Uh, that was Jan, crazy. Jan and them, yeah. Uh, back in she, I mean, that thing like chased her down. Yeah, jumped on it the was, back. Yeah. It wasn't like she encroached on the territory and it was defending. Yeah. It, it stalked her. I mean, that's very rare. Um, yes, but, but still rabid. It's but like a domestic you're gonna dog run into can, it. can do horrible damage. And yeah. You're out there by yourself. There's nobody to save you. Um, so mace. So pepper spray. Yeah. Bear rated pepper spray. It's about thirty five bucks a can. Thirty five bucks a can. Yeah. I mean, but you know, you run into that. It's you like yeah, yeah. Thirty five bucks yeah. well spent. And some some uh, person who's giving you a hard time. Uh, It'll shoot 30 feet. So uh, 30 feet range out of a... That's cool. Yeah. So it's a good standoff. Nice. Well, that sounds good. Yeah. You don't want to use a little keychain one. Those are pathetic. Um, yeah. Well, this has been great. All right. Well, I'm I th- glad you got something. I, 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 I got a great conversation at the very least, and uh, I learned more about you than I knew. Wow. Um, and that was great. Uh, did the camera die? It did. It's dying. That's okay. We still got yeah. the solo camera. It's on you though, your so you're gonna you're gonna carry us here. you're gonna carry us the rest of the way through because we got the close up on you. Um, well, contact me at or info at hikethesmokies.com. S M O K Y S dot com. That's it. This is Chase Ellis. Eight six five three six three four six six three. Wait, no, no. You can go. Th- we got time. You <laughs> sound it out. Enunciate no, it. Slow it 8, down. Eight six five three six three four six six three. Operators are standing by. Actually, they're sleeping, so let it ring. There's, there's no way that I got my radio voice from Dad. Uh, there's no just way. right. There's yeah, just no he, resemblance in that whatsoever. Steve, I do because he he listened to Steve Morgan. Oh, it, Steve is that Morgan. what it was? Yeah, All right, it's a Steve Morgan. Wow, <laughs> Steve Morgan. Greenbrier Church. <laughs> well, Chase Ellis podcast number one in the bag. Thank you for this. This is it's great. In no, it's in a bag. It's actually it's going to oh, go in like probably uh, some like kind of uh, beanie, and then I'll forget bag. about it for a year, and the then I'll add, finally add it, edit it together. But we've got a lot of editing. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. we've got. Um, I'm trying to get three more podcasts in this week, in, in the next couple of days. So we'll see how it goes. But well, thanks for being thank the first. You. Thank you. Oh, I'm supposed to. Shake I mean, I can't. Uh, 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 this who get who set up the set? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a good rehearsal. That's good.